Yeah, amen. Look at verse 21. It says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken to the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted as God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and she called his name Jesus. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, we thank you again for tonight. We're just thankful, Lord, that, Lord, you're not concerned necessarily, Lord, how many people are here tonight. Lord, you're just concerned with the heart that we came with. And God, we've come simply, Lord, to glorify you, to give thanks to you, to testify of some wonderful things that you've given us. Lord, your word says how our earthly fathers are able to give us great gifts, but Lord, even you, or Lord, you give us even greater gifts than that. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, that every gift, Lord, that has come down from the Father of lights is perfect. Uh, Lord, every gift you've given us is exactly what we needed. God, you've never given the wrong gift. You've never misplaced a gift. Lord, every blessing, God, that has fallen in our laps has been divinely orchestrated by you. God, may we rejoice, Lord, that Every time you've intervened, every time you've showed up, it has been exactly what we needed. And I pray, Lord, tonight that you have me behind the cross of Calvary. Help me to preach the word of God as you desire tonight, Lord. And I pray, Lord, you just simply use me for your glory one more time. I'm thankful, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to open up your word, to read from it, and to preach the Bible. And I pray, Lord, you just use us and help us one more time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So now we've, we've looked at some wonderful things concerning uh, this story of Christmas or the Christmas holiday. But the only thing that really makes these things so good is that they all revolve around Jesus. In essence, tonight, if you were to take him out of the Christmas story, well, you would really want to have much of a story. You could have some good things and some wonderful things, but you would not have the impact that you'd have. Imagine if, if Gabriel visits Mary, it wouldn't make any sense if he didn't tell her, well, you're going to have a child and his name is going to be Jesus. Right, you remove that out, then there's, there's really nothing he showed up for. Or if you think about Joseph's dreams wouldn't make any sense. Well, why would the angel speak to Joseph through a dream? Right, if Jesus wasn't in it. Think about the shepherd's experience. They leave their sheep behind and go into Bethlehem and they don't find him. It would have made the angels there a liar at the same time. It would have made the story a lot less impactful. Matter of fact, we would say those are terrible shepherds to leave behind their sheep to go into the city at nighttime knowing who could uh, come into the flock, but at the same time you remove Jesus out. What about the wise men? Could you imagine the wise men's story without Jesus? Why have you come to Jerusalem? Ah, nothing else better to do in the east. And so we've showed up here, and, but now if you remove it out, the story doesn't make sense. The reality is if you take Jesus out of our story, out of your testimony, out of your life, you really don't have much of a story. You don't have much of a testimony in that sense. And so we understand tonight that this Christmas story, we've, we've looked at some characters, we've called them extras, we've called them uh, co-stars. Jesus is the star of the story. He is the main character in the story. He is the star of the program. You, you can't remove the star out of the show and the main character and still have a good story. 
The same could be said about us. If you remove Jesus out of our lives, we wouldn't have much of a story to tell. He alone is the one that reconciled my past. He alone is the one that reassures me in my present. He alone is the one who reminds me of my future. And I want to say thank God tonight that Jesus is a part of my story. And the reality is he's more than just a part of it. He is my story. You take Jesus out, I have nothing to shout about. I have nothing to worship about. I have nothing to praise about. But thanks be to God, smack dab in the middle of my story is Jesus. And everything flows from him. He's the star. Is he the star of your story? Does he have the main role in your story? He should simply uh, do so because he's the only one worthy. He's the only one worthy to have the main role in our life. Let me give you a few truths about the Lord that should help you have a Merry Christmas. If you're, if you're on the line somewhere, preacher, I, I'm right there at M-E-R-R. I'm waiting on the Y. Can I give you your why tonight so you can have a merry Christmas? Notice number one, who he was. Look at verse 25. The Bible said, he knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. Luke 1, 32. We also know his name. We know his position. He's the son of the highest. He is the son of God. He was and is and will ever and will always be the son of God. He didn't just become that. He has always been that. How many of us know that he was more than just a name and a position, though. He was more than just a, a pawn in the system. He was the very son of God. At the same time, he was 100% human. I remember reading something about psychology and coming to a, a child, or someone said it to me. I, said, I never thought about it like that. But there comes a point in every child's life where they begin to recognize their parent by more than just a parent, but a human being. In essence, they, they begin to realize that their parent is a human. They have fault, faults and failures, and they have uh, everything. And tonight, we, we got to realize tonight, when we go through this, he is more than just somebody, right? He is the very son of God that became man for us. Not that he had faults and failures, but that he became what we could not so that we could spend eternity with him. When we look beyond just his name and his position, we'll see even more reasons to love this man, the son of God named Jesus even more. Well, where do we see that at? It's interesting, you can go all the way back to Isaiah chapter number nine tonight. In this famous Christmas verse, it gives us a wonderful insight at exactly who Jesus is. Look at verse number nine of Isaiah chapter number six. The Bible said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now, he's not necessarily talking about the United States Congress and the, the House of Representatives and uh, the, the Supreme Court of the Land, but rather he's talking about the entire world and how it functions and how it flows and how it, how it needs to be taken care of. And all of that is upon his shoulders. Can I say there are days in my life that even when it comes to pastoring, it's far more than I can bear by myself. I don't have the ability to fix everybody's problems. I can't walk into the cancer ward and heal nobody. I can't put families back together. I can't solve everybody's problems. And yet the Bible said that Jesus is such a wonderful God that he by himself can carry the government of the world on his shoulders. Goes on to say, the, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful. For the longest part of my life, I put Wonderful and Counselor together. 
He is a wonderful counselor, but the Bible has a comma right there between wonderful and counselor. The, the, the first thing Isaiah says is, yes, he has got all the government on his shoulders and he's real good at it. He's wonderful. He is extraordinary, hard to understand and comprehend. Let me ask you, can you comprehend how God does everything God does? Can you comprehend how God loves you the way that he does? Can you comprehend how his mercy is new every morning? Can you comprehend how his grace is sufficient? Can you comprehend how he could save a sinner like you? And we have to step back and say, I can't explain it in entirety. I can't give you a great theological answer, but here's what I know. He's really good at it. He was really good at saving me. He was really good at changing my life. He was really good at putting families back together. He's really good at solving problems. He's wonderful. Not that he's wonderful, but he's our counselor. It goes to verse number six, and his name should be called Wonderful, and then Counselor. Right, that means to advise. It means to consult. It means to give counsel. I love it when I read my concordance, and I say, well, what does the counselor mean? It says to give counsel. Uh, well, that's what I, I knew that. Right, give, me, give me a little bit more than that, Mr. Strong. I, I need a little bit more than that. But as I was praying and studying, I, I got to thinking about this. We, we think about somebody going to counseling, right? You, you need to go to counseling. You need to go sit by somebody and they got to try to figure out what's wrong with you. You ever been to counseling when my parents divorced? I went to counseling as I was in my teenage years and I sat down and I, I talked to this man and he was asking questions about my birth. Did I have a strenuous birth? I said, sir, I don't know. <laughs> All I know is I survived. <laughs> and I'm here, and, and he kept asking, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? I said, sir, my parents just split up. I don't feel real good about it. I'm not excited about that. I'm not, I'm not grateful for that. And he asked me question after question, and finally, he, he talked to my mom. He said, ma'am, your son has a mild case of depression. I said, I could have told you that. My parents just split up, right? But the Bible says, well, he's our counselor. It's not God sitting you and I down trying to figure out what's going on with us. But rather, it's as a friend who knows you and sits down and tells you exactly what you need to hear. Well, you had ever had some friends that stepped into your life and for a second there, they quit patting your back and said, listen, I got to talk to you real quick. We got to get some things figured out here. We got to get some things settled out here. We got to, well, I love you, but I'm going to have to tell you something and let you know that I'm telling you, I'm glad that God counsels us. I'm glad he sits down and he tells us what we need to know. I'm glad that even my most, even the cases in my life that I don't know what in the world's going on, he does. He's not sitting in heaven saying, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with that fella. That boy done lost his mind. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. Oh, he's a wonderful and he's a counselor. He gives us the advice that we need. And he goes on to say, he is the mighty God, the mighty God, right? That is, he is not a man that became God, but God who became man. He rules and reigns above all. He's not in a lot of a whole bunch of other ones where we just pick because we like his benefits more than we like the other ones. He is the only true and living God. And we live in a generation that they are getting closer and closer and telling us, you can't say that. Here's the thing, I'm not making anything new up. I'm just copying what he already said. He said himself, I am God. He said, I am the mighty God tonight. And here's the thing tonight, they can, they can fight me all they want to. I know he's mighty. I know he is. Why? I've experienced it. 
I've seen it firsthand. He's the only one that can take a sinner destined to hell and completely change their life. <laughs> well, you testify about your past. Your kids don't know anything about it. But you do, and you say, That's, it took God. <laughs> I didn't straighten up. I, I didn't get it all figured out. God did a work, in my, a mighty work. Then he goes on to say he's the everlasting father. He's always been, he is now, and he always will be tonight. He will always be God. Then you go down to right verse number six, right there at the end of it, and it says the prince of peace. Now notice all those are capitalized. He's not just some prince, he is the prince. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. But not just any prince, he's the prince of peace. It's a capital P. He's talking about himself. He said, I'm the prince of peace. I am peace. And we know tonight that that is true. He, he offers a whole lot of peace. Not just one avenue of it. We know that through Christ we can have peace with God. In essence, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, paid our sin debt, he brought a peace that had been missing since the Garden of Eden, brought it back into our lives through his own sacrifice. Now, because of Jesus, we have peace with God. We also have peace from God. How many have ever experienced God's peace? All right, explain that to me. <laughs> explain how, you, how you know, it's one of those, it's unspeakable. And that says it's beyond understanding tonight how his peace is. It passeth understanding. We can't explain it. I mean, because the problem's still there. The bills are still coming in. The issue is still present, but everything's all right. How, preacher? It's still there. How is everything all right? God said he'd take care of it. He, he told me that he'll supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And he owns the cattle of a thousand hills and the hills thereof. He's going to, I have peace from God. I have peace with God. And I also have the peace of God. The same peace that God operates in. God's never for one millisecond worried about anything. When they begin to build the Tower of Babel, God didn't say, oh no, I don't know what I'm gonna do. When every man's heart and every man's imagination was wicked in the days of Noah, God didn't say, ah, I don't know if I can handle this one. Oh, God said, there's a man named Noah. I've got a plan, I've got a prescription for what needs to be done. And he always operates in peace. God's never been in a hurry. God's never frantic. God, how's the old preacher? Not up in heaven chewing rollades or whatever they're called, biting his fingernails saying, what am I going to do? No, he is God. He already knows what needs to be done. I'm glad not only, do I, aren't you glad tonight that you know who he is tonight? He's more than just a name. He is my savior. Not only do we know who he was or who he is, we know where he was. Look at verse 23 of Matthew chapter number one. The Bible says, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall be, bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which bring interpreted as God with us. We knew where he was, right? Luke's gospel tells us that it was in a stable, right? We, we, did, uh, we did Bible Christmas trivia in, in Sunday school this morning and a lot of the questions were asked in a, in a, in a tricky way, right? And that, that, it just, I felt like it would be a blessing to those young kids, but we asked him, and one of the questions, how many animals were in the stable? Or what kind of animals were in the stable? 
We gave off a group of, you know, camels, donkeys, and dogs, and something else, something else, something else, something else, something else. Oh, we don't know. We don't know if animals were there or not. The Bible doesn't give us a record, but the Bible does tell us that it was in a stable somewhere near Bethlehem. But don't miss the forest for the trees. In essence, yes, we can rejoice that he was born in Bethlehem, but don't let the singular place outweigh the greater thing that God was doing, that he came to where we are. He came to earth. He lived and he walked this planet. I've always thought it'd be interesting to go to Israel, probably not right now, but maybe soon in the future, I'd like to go to Israel. I think it'd always be neat to walk where he walked to go out on the, the, the sea and to go out and, and to see where he walked on water, to, to pass by the garden tomb, to, to, to see where he did the miracles. And, and knowing me and my inability to figure everything out, I'd probably just get scanned by a con artist. <laughs> Let me show you where he fed the 5,000. They took me to McDonald's. <laughs> this is where he did it. I didn't know you could do that with a McChicken. But may we remember, he came to where we are. He didn't have to. He wasn't required to do so. He knew the heartache. He knew the pain. He, he knew the reality of sin, and yet he himself, God in the flesh, came among sinful men. Hebrews tell, well, why would God do that? Hebrews 4.15, for we are not, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without Sin. Why did Jesus come? Because me and you are going to go through things and now because he came to where we are, he can say, I know what you're going through. He was tempted in all ways. The things that you and I struggle with and fight with. He knows those feelings. He knows that experience and yet, even in the darkest moments, he was without sin. That tells us his example is always right. And yet he's not sitting up in heaven as one who is saying, I, you ever met, I told you so, people? Boy, they, don't, they, don't they get you aggravated sometimes? <laughs> yeah, I know that I messed up. Quit telling me that I did that. I, it's clear, amen. Just like, you know, you don't have to tell a dog his leg is broke. He knows. But we see it or not. Well, he could easily say, in heaven, so you're not supposed to do that. You, you're not, I, I, I told you so. But rather he came to where we are and where we live. That way he could be a friend to us. To say, I know it hurts. Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be let down. Boy, you would think those disciples could pray for him. He was headed to Calvary. Jesus said, all right, fellas, let's pray. Well, they do, they went to sleep. <laughs> Makes me feel better as a preacher, amen. They, they fell asleep on Jesus. And so I don't feel bad when they fall asleep on me. But we know that as God, he, he's omniscient. He knows all. He could have easily just ad, uh, adopted, I, I know you better mentality. It would have, I would have never done that. And he didn't do that. But at the same time, he, he was willing to come to where we are so I can know what you're going through. But don't worry, I know a better way. That's why the Bible says, I think it's in Corinthians, that there's no temptation given to us that he's not provided an escape for. Right? He is the escape. Preacher, how, how do I get out of this? How do I get out of that? Follow Jesus. Follow his instruction. Flee from the appearance of evil. I don't know about this and run from it. Run until God gives you peace. How can he know what we've been through or what we're going through? Well, he's been there too. He came to where we are. 
He knows the realities of this world because he has experienced them just like you. Well, I'm glad I know who he is. But aren't you glad tonight he came to us? He came to us this evening. Notice number three tonight. Not only that he was, we know who he is and we know where he was, but we know what he would do. Verse 21. And then she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. And what's that beautiful song, Mary, did you know? She knew. <laughs> she might not have known that he was going to walk on water. She might not have known that he was going to heal blinded people. and all that kind of, But she knew why he came. He came, for he shall save his people from their sins. Here's the interesting thing. We'll spend our entire lifetime trying to figure out what we're doing with our life. <laughs> why am I here? Y'all ever ask that? Lord, what are you trying to do? Lord, what is the purpose for my life? Lord, why am I here? We even feel like it's constantly changing. Here's the thing. The purpose I have tonight was not the same purpose I had 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I wasn't pastoring. 10 years ago, I didn't have the same number of kids that I have now. 10 years ago, life was different. My purpose was different. My purpose was to go to children's church and preach to a whole bunch of kids who didn't want to listen to me. <laughs> and, 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 and try my best to pay attention. And can I say God used children's church? I learned that if I can put it on their level, I can put it on anybody's level. <laughs> oh, preacher, you're deep. Right, can I say I'm just as deep as children's church? And it sure has been a blessing, amen. He, notice here, and we struggle with our purpose. Why am I here? And our purpose changes throughout life. It changes with our age. It changes with our responsibilities. It changes with whatever stage we're in. Our purpose is different. Here's the thing. Jesus always knew his purpose. He didn't come to earth and all of a sudden realize, oh, this is my purpose. This is why the Father sent me. This is why, why I'm here. I just now realize why I'm here. No, the Bible said before the foundations of the world, he was the lamb slain. He had already chosen, already made the, the decision, I will give myself a ransom. Brother Jed mentioned when he prayed this, this morning how Jesus didn't figure out halfway to Calvary, oh, I'm supposed to go to Calvary. He didn't live like you and I live. Oh, this is my purpose. This is my calling. This is what God desires for me. To be honest with you, even in my own life, pastoring was far away from where I was content with children's church. I was content with filling in at the mission. I was content with just here and there and, and somewhere in, but I was content with just doing things that nobody else saw or seen. And then God said, all right, it's time for you to preach. It's time for you to pastor. Um, Lord, you, you, didn't, you didn't ask me beforehand. <laughs> you can ask my wife. She found out that I was going to be the next pastor here the same time the rest of y'all did. They were there that night. And I found out 30 minutes before you did. <laughs> and here's the interesting that's how I feel that's how I lived the majority of my life. Just show up and you'll figure out where you're supposed to be. <laughs> but no, he didn't, here's the thing. He came to save sinners from their sin. That's why he came. Everything he did from his birth all the way to his death headed towards Calvary. Matter of fact, your Bible tells there's a point in his ministry where he knew and he understood that that was next. The Bible said he made his face like a flint toward Calvary. And he set his focus, and this is, his disciples try to talk him out of it. Remember Peter, Lord, you ought not to do that. And Jesus so kindly said, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine being Peter? Excuse me, Lord. Did you call me? 
<laughs> but that's the mentality. Satan doesn't mind using anybody he can to get you off your purpose. Even if it's a friend. What do I do, preacher? Go check with God. It's all right, Lord. I'm here to do what you want me to do. He didn't cry, it was finished, until he'd done exactly that. Timing was perfect. I remember reading behind a man that said that any mortal man would have died at the scourging of the pillar when Jesus was whipped with the cat of nine tails. said any other mortal man would have died right there. Jesus got up, went into Pilate's hall, went through all of that ordeal, then carried a cross up to Calvary. Nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. And yet none of that took his life. It wasn't until he cried, it is finished. The purpose for why I was born in Bethlehem, I've completed it. It's finished. Boy, I'm thankful that's the God that I serve. Not a God who's trying to figure out everything. Because if it had been me, I'd have been done. You didn't have to whip me. Just threaten me with it. I said, nope. Barabbas ain't worth it. Them crazy folks ain't worth it. Them folks that are going to reject me ain't worth it. Jesus said, I know all that's going to take place, and I'm still going to go. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to finish until I'm finished. He didn't cry. It was finished until he had done exactly that. Thank God he went all the way for us. I'm glad, I'm glad he didn't die in Matthew chapter number two when Herod put out the decree. I'm glad he didn't die when Satan took him up to the pillars or the pinnacle of the palace, the temple. I'm glad he didn't die when the religious crowd came after him. He died exactly when he wanted to and when he was supposed to, when he said it is finished. Thank God he went all the way. His birth is wonderful, but we also know what it led to. As we gather together tomorrow with family and friends, no doubt we're going to say thank you, Lord, for coming. But that ought to always end with a comma. And thank you, Lord, for dying. Comma. Thank you for rising again. Comma. And thank you for coming back again. As much as we celebrate and are rejoicing in the fact that he came, I'm glad tonight I get to celebrate that he's coming back. And I know who he's coming back for. Those who believed on him. And I'm one of them. And I know by the majority of your testimonies, the majority of y'all are as well tonight. Aren't you glad for what he did for you. He's the main, main, main character of our story tonight. We could not tell the Christmas story.